of our Relational Mission series. The books are still at the back if you haven't got a copy yet. And um, this is all about planting churches, planting new churches. And Craig's going to explain a little bit more about what that's about, and I'm sure he'll tell a bit more of their story. But we, we invited Craig particularly to preach on this one rather than any of the other subjects. He'd have been great on all of them. But this one is something that's been burning in his heart for a little while now. We just, he's a guy who's living it out, and we want to learn the best people to learn from on a certain subject are the ones that are living it out and it's burning within them. So we get an impartation. There is such a thing as an impartation from other people. When God gives them a certain anointing, when they speak it out and other people are on the receiving end of that vision, you go away with a deposit of what they've been given. And I just trust by the end of this morning, God will stir something up, perhaps something new in us at Beacon. That's my prayer this morning. That he'll stir something up that we maybe we haven't recognized before, seen before, or realized that he's got for us. So can I just pray for you? Then I'll let you, I'll release you into the wild of Beacon Church. Lord, thank you so much for my brother Craig. I love him so much. He's a good pal, but he's a brother as well in Christ. And Lord, even right now, I'm just looking forward to what it is that you've put on his heart specifically to say to us. We're excited to hear from you, Lord, through your son Craig. So uh, may you help him, may you help his mind stay clear and his mouth stay clear so he can just deliver what it is you've put in him. Lord, as we're on the receiving end of it. May you speak to him as much as to us. That's what you do with preachers. <laughs> but um, yes, we just hand this time over to you yet again and just say, come and speak to us through your mighty, mighty word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Craig. How's that? There you are. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, band. Good to see everybody again. I don't know how long it's been since I was here. Last year sometime. Yeah, so lovely to be back. Yeah, I'm uh, from Ramsgate, so not far away. I think it's only took us 20 minutes to get here. And it's so good just to travel to a different town and find a group of people that are worshipping the same God in the same name of Jesus, <laughs> singing the same songs. It's just like, it feels like you're coming home. So it's good to be with you again today. Uh, yeah, Steve's asked me to uh, speak on the sixth chapter of this book. I hope you've got a copy and that you're reading it through. This is like the the kind of mission from the squadron commander. Yeah, Mike Betts, he's kind of top of the, top of the family. He's the, he's the father and he's, he's telling the, the various families around relational mission what we're about. And so I think you've done this in order. And you tweet one. Okay, so we're doing this series as well in September and October and Steve's going to come across to us. So it's, it's good to all be on the same page. And the sixth chapter of this is about uh, church planting or he calls it in here, starting new families. And it's a real privilege and blessing to be part of a network of churches that have got that right at the heart of what they're about. So our story at Community Church Ramsgate is we planted six years ago, and we weren't networked with Relational Mission at that time. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of why that was the case. But after a year or so, we got welcomed into this family of churches and we found what we needed. We found what we were looking for as a small church plant, 12 people, 10 kids. We found a, a body of believers, brothers and sisters in the faith who would support us and pray for us, equip us. That Our heart to see the gospel advance in our town was their heart too. So this is, an, a, it is an, a kind of an abstract chapter for us as a church in Ramsgate. This is just like what we're about. And it's so good to have Steve and you guys praying for us too in terms of what we want to do. And it's not, um, it's not abstract for us at the moment either. Though we're six years old, in our network of churches, we've got other church plants that have gone out in the last few years. So in the book, you'll read of 
kind of testimonies of people in Colchester and Lille in France and Helsinki in Finland. And they're guys that Steve and I are in a kind of huddle, in a rabble with. We, we kind of meet and pray with these guys as often as we can. So we can be praying for what God is doing in uh, Colchester with Hugh and Claire. That can be part of our life as a church here in this part of Kent. And then Roger and George in Lille and Kevin and Lydia in Helsinki. And you've got a good link here at this church with Barry and Maureen to find out what they're doing. They need you, guys. They need your prayers. They need your Facebook messages of encouragement. They probably need some cash from time to time to keep them going through difficult times. This is not an abstract chapter. This is happening right here and right now in Herne Bay for the sake of the nations. I want to speak about today four reasons why we've got to be involved in church planting, why you at Herne Bay, why you at Beacon have got to be involved in planting churches, four reasons, and then, then I'm going to look at the Great Commission, which is like the fuel in the tank that keeps us going with this. So four reasons why we've got to be involved in church planting, and then we'll look at the Great Commission. I hope if you've been a Christian any length of time, this is going to be a familiar passage to you. But I'm just going to point out a few things in that that uh, stood out to me when I was thinking about bringing that to you guys. So that's in Matthew 28. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles ready, uh, Matthew 20, uh, chapter 28 is the Great Commission. But back to, this, back to this point again. We're in a network that wants to plant churches, to start new families. Mike Betts says this in the book, that we as a network are committed to an ongoing, vibrant expansion Sorry, expansive vision of church planting in nation after nation. So this is what we're about as a family of churches. We're committed to an ongoing, vibrant, expansive vision of church planting nation after nation. So why should we do that? Here we go. Four quick reasons as to why we should be involved in church planting. I say we, I mean you. Yeah, this is, this is you as a Christian who's following Jesus. Why you should be committed to this. Firstly, why should we plant new churches? Because it's our biblical mandate. Okay, so if you read the Bible, you will get the idea that this is what Christians should be doing. This is just the way it plays out in Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew 28 to those first disciples, 11 of them, go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them. Essentially, start churches. Then you read in Acts, that first kind of 30 years of church history, what did they do? They did that and they planted churches. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planter of them all, he had a two-fold strategy. He went to big towns in new regions and he started new churches. There's no reason to think that that's not still the mission of God today. That's what we should be doing because that's what the Bible says we should be doing. I love what, what Mike Betts says here. This is, it's ever so simple. Don't overcomplicate this thing, okay? If you pray and if you witness, then what will pop out the other end is planting churches. So you've looked at these chapters already in this book. Everyone a witness, that's me and you, we're disciples of Jesus and we're witnessing to other people about who Jesus is and what he's done. And as we do that, some people will become other disciples of Jesus. And as we keep doing that, we're going to fill up our churches and we're going to need to plant more churches in this town and in the next town and in any parts of the world where there aren't churches. If we pray, if we say to God, God, what's on your heart? Guess what he's going to say? I want more people to be my followers. 
I want to make a, a people of my own possession. I want to see more people come to a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we pray and we get God's heart and as we get God's empowerment through the Spirit, we're going to go out and we're going to witness and we're going to see people come to faith and then we're going to need to start new churches. This is the normal life as a Christian. This is just what happens. So it's really helpful. E plus E equals C. E plus E equals C. Everyone a witness plus enough prayer meetings will mean that we plant churches. Why else should we plant churches? Secondly, it's the best way to make new disciples. When new churches are planted, when new families are started in a, in a region, it's the best way to see new people come to faith. Some missiologist said this. This is C. Peter Wagner. He said, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. Planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. Here's what the statistics tell us. Okay, so this is kind of brain boxes looking at the statistics of how people come to faith. What do they tell us? New churches are the best way to reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups. So new generations, younger adults, have always been disproportionately found in newer congregations. That's just what the statistics tell us. So younger adults are more likely to be found in newer congregations. That's a good reason to start new congregations. New residents... New residents in a region are more likely to attend newer congregations. And new people groups, new socio-economic classes of people or new cultures in a town are more likely to attend a new congregation. This is good for mission. This is good for fulfilling the biblical mandate of going and making disciples. And then check this out. New churches best reached the unchurched. So those that aren't attending churches at the moment in Herne Bay will be best reached by new congregations. Dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains its most new members from ranks of people who are not attending any worshipping body. 60 to 80% of their new members are coming from people that weren't attending a church beforehand. Whereas a church that's been established 10 to 15 years gains up to 90% of its new members from people that were already attending another congregation. In that town, we just shuffle the pack. We don't want that, do we? Really? We want to see new life. We want to see people that aren't saved and added become saved and added. And a good way to do that, the best way to do that, is to plant new churches. And this has been our experience at CCR. We started six years ago, and after five years, having started with 12 people, we baptized about 24 people to the glory of God. So in five years, 12 people had each, statistically, seen two conversions each. And that means now we're up to about 70 adults in our church. In five years' time, we should expect to see if that ratio were to continue, 140 new converts. We're going to need two more congregations in Thanet, and we are believing that. 
We're believing that, that that's what God's done with us in five years, and he's going to do that with us again in another five years. We are planning right now, even though we're only relatively small and a little bit fragile, to plant into Margate in Cliftonville. And then we want to go to Broadstairs. And then we're praying with people to plant into Sheppey. And we've got a, I've got an inkling that we might go into Dover at some point as well. This is what happens when new churches are planted. They come with new energy, and we see more people saved and added. But it's not, not all doom and gloom for established churches. And I recognize you guys have been planted for, someone help me out? 20 years. 20 years. Okay, so you're thinking nuts. What does that mean for us? Okay, when new churches are planted in a town, it's good for the whole body of believers in that town. Every church, it's good for them. And this is what the statistics have shown us. That a new church planted into a town brings new ideas into that town. That benefits not just the church that's planted new, but every church in the town. It's provocative. There's freedom in newer churches to try new things. They're like our research and development centers for the town. Let's find out what they're doing and copy them. Because they're reaching new people. New churches are the best way to surface new strong leaders, new innovative leaders in that town. So as new churches are planted in Herne Bay, those new leaders that have risen up and come with that passion will benefit Steve. We'll encourage him, we'll encourage you guys in this town to keep going. Thirdly, new churches planted in a town encourage established churches to be self-examining. You will look more deeply at yourself and say, what are we about? What is our unique calling in this town? What can we do that nobody else can do? It's, it's, um, it gets you back to basics. It's provocative. It says, what we, can we do that nobody else can do? What is our specific vision? What's our part to play in the body of believers in Herne Bay? And fourthly, new churches are an evangelistic feeder for established churches. If a new church is planted here in Herne Bay, statistics would tell us there's going to be more converts that come through that, but they're not all going to settle in that church. They're going to find other churches in the town as well. In short, a church that's planted into Herne Bay from you guys or from somebody else is good for you. And it should be celebrated and encouraged and they should be prayed for. They're not the competition. Let me just be a bit provocative as well about Herne Bay. Here in Herne Bay, there are 39,000 souls. Is that right? I got the tech. About 39,000 souls. Um, Steve estimated that there's about 1,000 people in this town that belong to God. They're saved and added to one of 13 churches that are meeting today, right now probably. So that's, that's okay, but there's lots more to do. Would we be happy if only 10% of the people of Herne Bay were saved and added. We wouldn't, would we? But let's just imagine 10%, just 10%. How many people would that be in Herne Bay? Someone with a burden for church planting. Go, go save people. (laughs) Only 10% of the people here in this town would mean 3,900 people in this town would need a church home. And if each one of those churches had 100 people in, that's a meeting like this, we'd need 25 more churches planted in Herne Bay. 
So just if 10% of this town came to a living faith in Jesus and they were saved and added to a congregation, we'd need 25 more church plants. Get a wiggle on, Beacon Herne Bay. <laughs> Preach the gospel. Love the poor. Do your bit. Seeing people saved and added. They'll settle with you. They'll settle somewhere else. You're going to need to raise up new leaders. You're going to need to raise up new community group leaders or whatever you call them here. You're going to need to get efficient of what it means to belong to a church, to love each other. You're going to need to do this. That's you, not somebody else who's sitting near you. That's you as an individual here in this church today. You're going to need to get busy living Jesus' way. Live a holy life. It's worth it. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for your family. It's worth it for your church. It's worth it for your town. They need you. By his spirit, we're going to come on to that. This is not about how great you are. It's how great he is and what he can do in you and through you for his glory. This is your mission. Let's turn to Matthew 28. This is the, the fuel in the tank. This is the thing that's going to get you going, okay, to do this thing that God's calling you to do, to be making new disciples. And imagine you'd know the second half of this quite well, where Jesus says in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. I hope you know that. If you don't know it, get it tattooed on the inside of your eyelids. That's why you're a Christian. This is your command from the master, from the squadron leader. This is what we're here to do now. But let me take you back to verse 16 and just help you put this in context. Verse 16 of chapter 28 of Matthew. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. What had led up to that point, okay? What had just played out? Hopefully you know this, but let me just remind you, Jesus had just kind of brought the whole of the Old Testament to fulfillment, okay? Everything that was in the Old Testament had come to a head in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It had all happened. Jesus, God incarnate, comes to the planet to sort the mess out. He lives the perfect life. He dies the perfect death in our place for our sins. He rises to new life. He'd confirmed that he'd done it. Peter, who was standing there at this point later, sums up the gospel and says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Through Jesus, sinners who are far from God can be brought to God now and forevermore. Does that get your juices flowing? Does that fill you with energy in your heart that you, as someone who was far away from God, an enemy of God, destined to be apart from God now and forevermore, through what Jesus has done for you, can now have a right relationship with God? Breathtakingly good news. And that will not just last you in this life, though it's good for this life, isn't it? A source of wisdom and hope and peace and life and energy and community and purpose. This is the good life, people. Connected to God, connected to his people, filled with the Spirit. Enjoy that. But it will last you beyond the grave. 
forevermore. This is just a foretaste of what's to come. Thank you, Jesus. This is a gospel. This is a good news. This is an announcement of what has been done for people that are far from God. People in Herne Bay need to know this. I was chatting to a friend of mine who lived on Sheppey for 18 years. That's not that far away. And he said he spent 18 years on the Isle of Sheppey and he'd never heard the gospel. Shame on us as the church. That's, that's a scandal. It took him to leave Sheppey and come to Canterbury where he heard the gospel. And then he responded to it. Now he wants to go back to Sheppey and plant a church there. People need to know. Whether they respond to it is between them and God. But it's our job as the church today in this season, in this age, to take this gospel forward. Okay, now, okay, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Eleven. There used to be twelve. There were twelve disciples, but now there are eleven. What had happened? One had fallen. You've got to wonder what was going through their heads. You know, three years ago, the twelve of us were picked. There's only eleven of us now. Oh, Judas. Oh, Judas. What Jesus is going to command these guys to do isn't kind of contingent on how their past are gone. Okay? That you today may come with a level of disappointment of I've been there, I've done that, I've tried that, Lord. We've tried this evangelism thing, I've tried this witnessing thing, and it's not gone so well. doesn't matter how disappointed you're feeling today in terms of looking back as to Jesus' command to you today to go and make disciples. This is here today to do. Forget what's behind and press on to what, what lies ahead. When you think evangelism, what comes to mind? What's been done in the past? What have we tried in Herne Bay? Forget what's behind. Press on towards what is ahead. Jesus says to these guys, with their level of disappointment, go and make disciples. And then this, verse 17. I love this. I love that Matthew included this in his gospel. If he was trying to write something that would kind of be an objective kind of um, persuasion to a people, he probably wouldn't have put this in, but he's honest. He says, look, verse 17, and when they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Why include that other than just being honest? Some doubted. Some of those 11 who were there with Jesus, who they saw dead and come back to life, They'd eaten with this dead man come back to life. They could see the scars in his hands. Some of them still doubted. What Jesus says to you in terms of going and making disciples isn't dependent on your level of faith today. This isn't for superstar Christians to get busy with. This isn't for those that are full of faith only to go and make disciples. This is for every one of you who's come here today. No matter where your level of faith lies right now in this season, you're still going to be commanded by Jesus, who's got authority over you if you're a Christian, to go and make disciples. But I'm not good enough. 
I haven't got the words to say. My prayer life's a bit rubbish at the moment. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. Go and make disciples. Go and share what you know with all your doubts with somebody else who doesn't know that yet. Actually, it's people with a level of doubt that those who don't know anything are most inclined to converse about this stuff with. Not those that have got all the right answers. They're more likely to speak to you than they are to me because I'm a religious professional. Come with your doubts to people who don't know Jesus yet and say, look, this is what I'm finding. This is what, this is what Jesus has shown me. And then this, Jesus says this, and Jesus came to them and said, this is verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who's got authority in this church? Who's got authority in your heart? Who's the boss? Who's the king? Because in a way, it doesn't matter what he's going to say next, because if he's in charge, we, we do it, yeah? If he's the Lord, then if he says it, we've got to do it. Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, but they don't really know me. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and then not do what I tell you to do? If you love me, Jesus says, obey my commands. Jesus has authority. I'm conscious of the time, Steve. How long have I got? Okay. Maybe this is for you today. Maybe you've heard the claims of Jesus to be your saviour. He will save you from a messy life, maybe. Or he will save you from death. He will save you from hell. Maybe you've heard this offer that Jesus makes of come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You've heard that in Jesus you'll find hope and joy and peace and life everlasting. And you're like, I want that. I want heaven. I don't want hell. I want hope. I don't want to live with hopelessness. And you're like, I absolutely want that. Who, who wouldn't want that? This offer of hope in a hopeless world. This offer of peace in a chaotic world. He offers it. He really does. And maybe you've said, I want some of that. So imagine that you're driving along through life in your car. Here comes a metaphor, a picture. And you say, yes, Jesus, I want what you say you've got. Come and get in my car. Come and get in the boot. Come on, Jesus, I'll open the boot, you can get in there, close up, and I'm going to get back in the driving seat and I'm going to drive my life. Thanks very much. And when you break down, when life goes wrong and the, the tyre falls off of your car, you get a flat or something, Jesus, help me. My life's gone terrible all over again. But Jesus, I'm going to go to the boot and I'm going to get Jesus out and he's going to help me all over again. The spare tyre's in there anyway. So Jesus, it's your job, isn't it, to help me when I crash the car. That's not Jesus' offer to you. Like the God of the universe is going to fit in your boot. Or maybe you've heard Jesus' offer of life and joy and peace and hope and heaven, and you're like, yes, Jesus, come in, get in the car, come and be my co-pilot, come and sit in the passenger seat of my life. I'm happy, Jesus, whilst I'm driving for you to sit up front. I'm happy for other people out there to see that Jesus is in my car, and he's my co-pilot. I don't mind wearing a crucifix, to work. I don't mind saying from time to time, God bless you to the people at work. I don't mind even putting a little fishy sticker on the back of my car to let people know I'm in the club. But Jesus doesn't offer to be your co-pilot. 
He doesn't. That's not Jesus' conditions of him coming into your life. If you want Jesus and everything that Jesus has promised to you, you have to get out of your car. You have to give him the keys. You have to let him sit in the driving seat of your life. Jesus comes as your saviour. He does, but he's also Lord. He has authority in your life. So that leads us on to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, go. It it wouldn't matter what he said, (laughs) in a way, because we'd do it, right? But he does say, go, therefore, and make disciples. Do something. Get active. Try. Step out of your comfort zone. Follow him to somewhere new. That might be the end of the earth. It might be. One of you here might have conviction from God to go to the ends of the earth. If he's told you to do that, do it. But for all of us, I'm sure it's to the end of the street. It's to where we are now. To make disciples where we are now. It's movement. It's action. It's a step of faith. It's doing something. Believing in Jesus isn't just what's going on in your head. It's what's happening with your life. If you want to know if you really believe in Jesus, or you believe on Jesus, then your lifestyle will show it. You can do a self-assessment today. Is Jesus really my Saviour and my Lord? Well, what have I done this year? What have you done this year? Because Jesus is your Lord. Now, if I say to my kids, I've got three kids. My Isabel's 11. She's um, uh, leaving primary school. It's quite an emotional moment in our lives as our youngest leaves primary school. Okay? And she's um, one of the mums in year six organized a photo shoot for that class. She's gone off there for this photo shoot. That's why she's not here. And Charlotte's keeping her company as well. I think Jacob's gone to CCR, hasn't he, this morning? Anyway, if I said to my kids, kids, I'm your dad, I love you, but I'm in charge, tidy your room. I'd expect them to tidy their room. If in two hours' time, my Jacob, I'll pick on him, it's usually him, if in two hours' time he came back to me and said, Dad, I've not tidied my room, but I've really thought about what you said. I wouldn't be that happy. I'd say, Jacob, I'm glad you've thought about it. Tidy your room. And then if Jacob came back to me and said, Dad, I've now got a conviction in my heart to go and tidy my room. And I'd say, Jacob, tidy your room. And then if Jacob came back and said, Dad, I just want to be absolutely clear about what you've asked me to do, because I may have got the wrong end of the stick. What is it you want me to do? Jacob, tidy your room. And Jacob comes back to me and says, Dad, I went to school and I chatted to my friends and I saw, they told me how they tidied their rooms. And I'd say, Jacob, tidy your room. And then Jacob would say to me, Dad, I've organised a small group of other people that have been asked to tidy their room and we're meeting together once a week and we, we kind of then consider what it would look like if we tidied our rooms. And I'd say, Jacob, tidy your room. And Jacob said to me, Dad, I've been on YouTube and I've watched international speakers. They are, they're a better speaker than you, Dad. And they've inspired me to at some point in the future tidy my room. And I'd say, Jacob, 
tidy your room. And if Jacob came to me and said, Dad, I have memorized the words for tidy my room. <laughs> I, I know it. I've memorized it. And I say, Jacob, tidy your room. Dad, I've learned what tidy my room is in Greek. Tidios my roomilopoulos. <laughs> Not a direct translation. <laughs> I'd say tidy my room. Jesus says, go and make disciples. The Lord Jesus, your risen Lord, the Lord of this church, yeah? The boss, the chief shepherd. Go and make disciples. And I'll just end with the rest of what he says. Go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 1, he said to the disciples, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that was where they were. In Judea, that's the region. In Samaria, that's the next region. And to the ends of the earth. Okay? There's a little pattern for there for us as believers. And he doesn't just say, get people to pray the prayer, get people to make a decision for Christ. He says, we don't just want them saved, we want them added. Baptize them into a body of believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to do. That's why you're here today, yeah? Disciples of Jesus, being taught how to obey everything that Jesus has commanded you to do. And then this, and we'll end on this, and we'll sing. Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. This is what Jesus is about. Jesus builds his church and he extends the kingdom. This is what Jesus is about. He's saying, I'm with you on this. I'm commanding you to do it. You want to be where Jesus is, yeah? In Jesus is your hope and your joy and your peace and your life. He's on the move. You want to be with him as he's with you. You don't do this on your own. Later, as Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. I will be with you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This isn't, this isn't just your efforts, guys, and your excellence and your brilliance. It's not. This is about submitting to him, allowing him to work in you and through you. For the glory of God, for the joy of the church and the churches, and for the sake of the least and the last and the lost. Can I pray for you guys? And then we'll sing? Yes. Great stuff. Great stuff. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to come to you and find rest and to find salvation and to find life, to find life everlasting. Jesus, we thank you that we as Christians will not pay the penalty for our sins. You've paid it for us. We thank you that we are justified through Jesus Christ alone. And we get that through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We're trusting you, Jesus, to do that work for us. But Jesus, as our saving Lord, we want to follow you. You say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Then you say, take my yoke upon you. Do life with Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for your commands to us to go and make disciples. To go into Herm Bay and make disciples. To be witnesses to who you are. God, I pray for these guys that you would gift them 
with faith to believe, with faith to do, with opportunity today and tomorrow and this week to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray for courage to do that with whatever level of faith and doubt there is here today that we'd be obedient. That Jesus, when you tell us to tidy our rooms, we would tidy our rooms. When you tell us to go, we would go. And we would do it quickly. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you tell us we are not alone. That Jesus, right now you are praying in heaven for your Holy Spirit to come and equip us and empower us to do what you ask us to do. We are not alone in this task. Jesus, I pray for my friends here at Beacon, that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would empower them to do that which you ask them to do. Empower them, God. Equip them with Holy Spirit power to go from this place today and make disciples, to live lives of adventure and courage and sacrifice for this kingdom that is going to last forever. Bless them, I pray. In your name and for your sake. Amen. 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 Shall we stand? Let's